Canadian journalists stopping by, and we have another uh, bunch of Canadian experts. And I want to find out if maybe we have ruined Canada. <laughs> I've got some uh, juicy quotes and facts too for you guys. Um, it's, it'll be interesting because I think a lot of people mis, uh, misunderstand their relationship. And also even the Canadians don't understand sometimes the Canadian political setup. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I don't know what the polit- Canadian political setup even is. And, um, and I think... <laughs> I think the sooner we get into just a background on what it is and how people vote in Canada, do you have on on Twitter or call in uh, one of our Canadian experts? Here? Yeah, uh, so we got Alex Bishop. Alex, um, Alex, uh, he's on Twitter Spaces right now, and as you know, uh, we're connected on call in Twitter Spaces and uh, Clubhouse Live. Yes, and and actually. I have no idea how long we'll be on Twitter Spaces because it hates me. Last night I was talking to Casey Newton and Karen Kara Swisher. They had asked me up to speak. I opened my mouth, said half a sentence, and got kicked out of the space. Actually, it's actually gave me a warning just now. Twitter said that the host is having problems with their connection and may disconnect soon. That's odd. Why would they tell me that you're having problems? Hi, Terry. Welcome. Hi, Terry. Thank you. First of all, welcome to Clubhouse. Uh, your microphone is off, so uh, you just have to touch that um, microphone button. There you go. I think I'm on now. You are, and okay. you're loud and clear. And I have- Sorry. Terry, since you only have about a half hour with us, will you immediately go into what your background is while the room is filling up? I, and, yeah, I could actually quickly introduce you. I mean, he, so Terry Molesky is a senior, uh, retired senior correspondent for CBC and the recent author of Blood for Blood, uh, 50 Years of the Global Khalistan Project by HarperCollins. And uh, please, Terry, um, we'll be having more people joining us shortly on the hour. And as you know, this podcast is broadcast live to Twitter spaces as well as call-in, and it'll be accessible later on as well. Okay. So, Terry, what we're trying to get at here is whether the United States is now serving as a bad example for Canada. And I'm, um, I'm rather good at the United States government processes, but I really have to admit that I know very little about the Canadian process. I know that it's a democracy, but can you perhaps tell me uh, how it is different and how it is similar to the United States? Uh, well, that would take about two days, but I'll give, <laughs> I'll give you the short version, if you like. Uh, Canada, um, the, the essential difference in the political system is that uh, the prime minister is not directly elected. The head of the country is not directly uh, directly elected as the president and the vice president are in the United States. Rather, the prime minister is whoever leads the party with the most seats, or more accurately, whoever leads the party that persuades the governor general 
who is the official head of state, standing in for the Queen, who persuades the Governor-General that they can command the confidence of the House. In other words, that even if they don't have a majority in Parliament, nevertheless, that uh, they can persuade the Governor-General, look, we have the best chance to get the most votes to get our program enacted, and the other mi minorities are smaller and have less chance of winning that confidence. So that's the, the essential difference, uh, and, and of course it makes a great deal of difference. I mean, uh, you take, it's the British parliamentary system under which Margaret Thatcher faced uh, a rebellion, for example, from her members of parliament, and they re simply replaced her as the leader of the party. There was no election to oust her. Uh, she was simply removed and was driven teary-eyed away from 10 Downing Street. Uh, so that's the principal difference. And, of course, the similarities uh, are, are, are legion. Uh, speak the same language, have the same traditions, watch the same TV uh, significantly. Uh, I mean, the American, American cultural domination of Canada is far from complete, but uh, it, it, it's... Uh, uh, unlike, I, I think, pretty much any, anything else on the face of the earth. Uh, not only that, but of course Canada has sheltered under the American nuclear umbrella uh, to assure its uh, defense and its security, uh, at least since uh, 1945, the end of the Second World War. Um, and then more recently, um, that relationship is what has become uh, damaged I, I, I won't say yet beyond repair, but it's been severely damaged by the ascent of uh, first uh, the Tea Party and Newt Gingrich, and then, uh, of course, by the ascension of Donald Trump to the presidency, um, which caused Canadians to say, oh, all the assumptions that we've had up to now, that we can um, relax under the American nuclear umbrella, uh, and that uh, uh, the United States is going to fulfill its traditional post-war role as the guarantor and defender of democracy around the globe, if they want to give up that role, we're going to have to rethink. And there's a, a famous speech by the then uh, Foreign Minister, now Finance Minister, Christian Freeland, uh, who said, okay, well, we're going to thank the Americans for everything they've done for democracy uh, in the recent decades, if they're going to forfeit that role, uh, then okay, thanks a lot, um, and we're just going to have to chart our own sovereign course, as she put it. Uh, so um, I promise not to take two days, but as a, as a brief outline of the uh, the differences in the political system uh, and in the differences in outlook, which persist. The difference in outlook is that. Canada is not yet in the grip uh, of uh, a party or a presidency or a prime ministership uh, which uh, disdain, pours scorn upon the traditional democratic system uh, and institutions. So uh, I, I don't know if that's helpful at all, but uh, I should probably stop there. That's very helpful. Um... That is, that's extremely helpful, but can I say that the United States doesn't elect its president and vice president right. directly? 
So what, yeah, and those are the political systems is a key thing, right? So the American political system is a federal uh, presidential constitutional republic. That's how it's called. The supreme power is held by the people and their elected representatives, while in Canada it's a federal parliamentary system with a constitutional monarchy, uh, where the queen, of course, is the head, as uh, uh, Terry was mentioning. Um, and so, as uh, Francine was saying, you do get to elect your president. We don't. We actually elect the party. And the party in power then selects uh, the leader. And also the cabinet. That's another thing, too. In the U.S., you don't get to elect your cabinets. Uh, we, elect our, uh, uh, we elect our representatives, and those representatives are typically chosen to be the cabinet members in a uh, government. I think you, uh, this is Alex Bishop here. I think also the lack of success for the Republican system internationally versus the parliamentary system is is maybe an example of of perhaps America is an anomaly in terms of a a working or maybe less so working democracy two hundred and fifty plus years later compared to a lot of. Uh, communities or countries that have tried their exact this this approach that have faltered uh, time and time again and I, th I think we can all point to African countries that are in that boat all right well all that said I think that um, uh, what 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 touches directly upon the question that you've tabled is the use of bad example to Canada uh, is is easily and simply answered yes. Uh, uh, today, uh, it's uh, presenting an appalling example uh, of a degenerate dicta dictatorship, which is uh, in disarray, uh, and where at least one—I mean, one of the main parties, which is looking well placed to achieve majorities soon enough in both houses of Congress, uh, seems to care nothing for the traditional democratic institutions and has very recently sought, in fact, to subvert them. And that's a terrible example. I mean, we, we, uh, Canadians will say that uh, we, we love Americans and that we're grateful to Americans for their role in recent decades, as uh, Christia Freeland said in her speech. Uh, but uh, today, it's presenting a terrible example as we speak, for example, there is a, a, a large convoy of truckers campaigning, as they say, for freedom from mask mandates and vaccine mandates, descending, uh, rolling across Canada in a large convoy of hundreds of trucks and private vehicles as well, to arrive in Ottawa, I suppose, on Saturday. Uh, and and the chatter on, on social media from these people includes stuff like, well, we've got to have our own January 6th. Uh, Rebel News, which is a sort of far-right uh, pseudo-news organization which doesn't really do any serious reporting, but uh, uh, is a, become a significant force, has an article this morning saying that they're descending on, quote, the capital city. So they, they can't even spell capital. Uh, they're using the. You know American that's characteristic term. of yes. of the right in general. Yes, I'm afraid it is. They can't even spell capital city. 
they use the American word for 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 this the the this the scene of the building which houses both houses of Congress and which was the scene of the Capitol riot on January the sixth uh, of last year. So uh, as we speak, uh, there is an attempt being made uh, by what I can only describe as Yahoos, judging by the statements they've been making uh, online. Uh, and in person, uh, when reporters are rolling their cameras, saying, um, uh, we've got to th- overthrow the government. I mean, they have actually presented, some of them uh, have presented a, a sort of program that reads like it was written by a couple of 14-year-olds, uh, saying we're going to go to Ottawa, and we're going to take over the government with the governor-general and the unelected Senate, and we're going to cancel all vaccine and mask mandates. And, I mean, what are they even raving about? Um, they make absolutely no sense at all. And these are the people who are echoing uh, the craziest stuff that they hear from the United States. I don't think uh, that the uh, uh, this. I don't think that this group has any democratic legitimacy. Considering, for example, that ninety percent of the truckers in this country are vaccinated. And here's this supposedly mass demonstration representing the people of Canada uh, who want to be free of these terrible, tyrannical mass mandates uh, descending on Ottawa, claiming to represent Canadians uh, at large uh, and calling uh, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, a fascist dictator. Everybody's a fascist. Do you think these people have ever even seen a fascist? I mean... I hope, and this is because I'm an optimist, I hope that there is a very, by the way, thank you, Terry. You are such a good speaker, and you are so articulate about this. I'm so happy to have met you. But I I guess my my question to you is, could there be, and, and it might be more a question for the Americans in the group, could there be a large, silent majority out there that will stop these people at the next election? Or are we done and do we drag Canada down with us? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a good question because the, the things are changing a little bit. Uh, in the last election, the answer is yes, uh, the, the, the majority, and not a silent majority, by the way, but a, a majority uh, barely elected a minority liberal government and rejected the Conservative Party, which I won't say officially is as far gone, if I can put it that way, as the Republicans in the United States. But the Conservative Party now is split, interestingly, on what attitude to take to the oncoming truckers' convoy that I just described. The uh, the leader of the party, uh, for the moment, his situation is, his grip on the leadership it seems to be quite tenuous, Aaron O'Toole, uh, having lost the last election, there are people gunning for his job, and he doesn't want the Conservative Party to identify itself with a bunch of yahoos and anti-vaxxers who, uh, even if there are uh, sensible people uh, organizing it, the, there may be a few, I suppose, um, they nevertheless include uh, some real yahoos who are going to create trouble and make fools of the, of the larger group 
quite quite predictably when they get to Ottawa. There are going to be attempts, for example, to invade um, the uh, the Parliament uh, and to ape what happened on Capitol Hill on January sixth, and this is going to be embarrassing. Uh, obviously, for the Conservatives if they identified. Nevertheless, despite that obvious risk, there are MPs, to include the former leader of the Conservative Party and the deputy leader of the Conservative Party and the would-be replacement leader of the Conservative Party, are all endorsing the truckers' convoy, saying, yay, freedom, let's go, and and go get them, and uh, uh, opposing the mask and vaccine mandates which the great majority of Canadians overwhelmingly support. So the trouble ahead. What I'd like to do now, if you don't mind, Terry, is we have several Canadians who have raised their hands. Um, one I know and two I don't, but I'm going to gamble that all three of them are nice in the way Canadians always are and will help us have a civil discussion. I think we'll start with uh, Lori because I know her. Thank you for welcoming me to the stage, um, Francine. And I did um, sort of nice to meet you, Terry. Um, as you know, Francine, I've been talking about this um, trucker protest for almost a week now. And, and Terry, as someone who is involved in transportation and customs as a job in on the online groups in the background, the trucker protest is now up to 36,000. And apparently Trudeau now has COVID and is isolating. So I wonder if that means that they are protecting him. And your thoughts on that at this time? I, I don't think so. I think that he was simply uh, exposed. It's happened before a couple of times where he's uh, realized that he has been exposed to somebody with COVID and has gone into into quarantine. I mean, the, the, there's, uh, there's no evidence at all that that's been cooked up as a lie in order to uh, uh, get him out of sight or protect him. The, the, the RCMP can protect the prime minister without having him in quarantine. Uh, James. Hello, my friends. Hello. I'll, I'll, I'll try to live up to your challenge and be as nice as I can be and keep the stereotype going. Um, uh, my name is James Bowie. I'm in Ottawa, Ontario. So all the uh, truckers will be arriving uh, all around me uh, very soon. Um, I want to start by saying what a pleasure it is to see Terry Molesky. Um, one of my complaints about this app has been that cool people haven't been joining in a while. We're and, trying to get him to come every week. but And, and, and here we have one of the most uh, well-known CBC personalities of my time. So it's a really it's really an honor to meet you, sir. I'm very happy that you're here, and I hope you, you'll make Clubhouse part of your regular routine. Well, thank you, but I'm appalled that you call me cool. Cool. Who are you calling cool? All right, I will not call you cool again. Won't, won't do it. Um, so, so yeah, um, I, I think Terry's right in his comments about uh, responsible uh, quarantining um, and and uh, the the truck rallies and what the Conservative Party will do. Um, I think he's right about Aaron O'Toole being in an impossible place where 
his hold of his own party is tenuous. The lunatic fringe is taking over and everyone who really, I think is on team Jenny Byron and, and would have preferred to have seen him stand down uh, after the last election, which really was entirely winnable for him, uh, where Justin Trudeau was not invincible and didn't run a powerfully strong campaign uh, and still came out with, with a profound win. I think there was a strong case for Mr. O'Toole uh, to stand down after the last election uh, Jenny Byrne, of course, uh, two or three times national campaign director for Stephen Harper, who, you know, won his elections, went on national television and said, if he doesn't win the election, uh, he should stand down. Uh, and, uh, you know, she wasn't excommunicated from the party for, for having done that. So Terry's quite right in describing his his hold on the, on the party as being tenuous. And uh, I was looking, I'm trying to think, um, it wasn't the Ecos poll, but one of the polls uh, this week, one of the national polls had the People's Party of Canada up 12% against the Conservatives. Um, and this is Maxime Bernier's fringe breakaway conservative wannabe party, uh, whose essentially only issue, their only issue is the pandemic. And Maxime Bernier, the leader of that party, who won 49% of the, the popular vote of the Conservative Party leadership almost became leader. So wait, is this the right of the right change? Yeah, this 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 would be like the Ross Perot of Canada. Uh, sort of like a third party coming in on the right. And so, 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 so Terry was quite correct in his assertion. I'm just adding some color uh, to describe exactly how tenuous this hold is. Not only is he facing threats from leadership challengers and, and internal um, stakeholders in his own party, but in fact, there's a new competing conservative party uh, that is gaining on him by leaps and bounds. Because although he has not denounced the convoy, he's, he isn't full heart, you know, wholeheartedly endorsed. And, and, and Mr. O'Toole is vaccinated. Mr. O'Toole has publicly encouraged others to get vaccinated. Maxime Bernier refuses to take the vaccination, has denounced the vaccines, uh, has denounced public health measures and is supporting openly this convoy, you know, driving across the country. So so he's in a terrible position where he's damned if he doesn't and damned if he doesn't. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen here in my hometown on Friday. I think it's going to be a giant mess, um, particularly because now it's starting to get warmer. It's about minus 6 Celsius in the capital now. It's been about minus 30 all week. Uh, we've been the coldest national capital anywhere in the world. If it was that cold... I wouldn't expect a large outdoor event would be successful. Uh, but since it's warming up to about the freezing point, uh, which is, you know, very warm for Ottawa in January, we could see something larger outdoors uh, lasting for a longer time because it's warmer. Well, that, that goes to what I've been wondering about how many parties we need in America to unstick what's happening and you don't make it sound like adding more parties is really gonna, <laughs> going to help. Well, it's uh, a wonderful question. And I think America would benefit if there was a Republican alternative that was, you know, really kind of like a Dwight Eisenhower, sensible, like, you know, small C conservative, anti-war, common sense Republican party. The problem, with the, the problem with the addition of parties that we have is we're adding parties that are more extreme. We're adding parties that have wilder views and are driving what I'm going to call the traditional parties towards more lunatic, fringy, 
type positions. So it's not just a question of how many parties, but when you add those parties, are they more extreme or less extreme? Yeah, that and that is what I'm beginning to understand. We have two Andreas on stage. I'm going to assume that one of them is Canadian because the other Andrea is one of my BFFs. So let's have the Canadian Andrea on first to talk a little bit more about Canada. And um, and then I'm going to let American Andrea speak. Hi, I'm Andrea in Alberta. Um, Alberta is like Texas in so many ways. In fact, my, my hometown is Grand Prairie and we have a twin in Texas, Grand Prairie. Um, it, it, it aligns in other ways too. We, we have a maverick party, which is one of those, those fringe ones. They want to separate. They want to be the 51st state and they are gaining in popularity. It is fascinating to watch. You mean they want to become part of the United States? Yes, yes. There's like, they've written up um, constitutions. They have, they're shockingly organized. Um, there's more than one, and eventually they'll probably all just be, there's a lot of infighting. So they're either going to implode or they're going to find the right people to, to, to do it properly just by getting rid of the riffraff. But yeah, they're they're on the tr they're in the, the trucks. They're on the way, um, and they definitely think that they're going to take down Donald Trump or not. Sorry, they're going to take down Justin Trudeau and put like the governor general in. Like they really do have all kinds of weird ideas that that they think they're doing right now. Yeah, but in the meantime, we have a provincial government. Um, that is dismantling public services one piece at a time. Doctors, mm -hmm. teachers, EMS, parks, everything. <laughs> uh, in a way where it's, it's very corporate. Everything for middle class is gaining in price uh, and corporate taxes are going down. And, uh, and we keep voting them in. Alberta will vote blue which is conservative, uh, so Republican, till, like, they, they would vote a potted plant in if it had a blue sign. <laughs> uh, so we're stuck, <laughs> and it, it sucks. Okay, so I have, I have just finished learning perhaps the most I've learned in years. I'm serious about what is happening about democracy. And American Andrea... How does, the, the, I mean, you, you can say anything you want to say, but what I'd like you to ask, answer is how does this, I'm going to say expose into what's happening in Canada, and thank you, Hagen, I had no idea of any of this, but, thank, but how does this make you feel about what we're facing in the United States? Um, well, I think it reinforces uh, what I guess I would say my worst fears have been following this closely now, this story, it, or actually it's not a story, forgive me, this, these, this um, situation as it's been unfolding, uh, 
And I think what concerns me about it is, you know, the fine line between fear-mongering and actually just saying the facts as they are to help people understand really what's going on and having that get people to do whatever they can in their free time to, you know, turn out the vote or get out, find ways to protect the election. Or maybe, you know, I just saw a headline today saying um, that there's some talk of having the U.S. military kind of, you know, protect civilians uh, in, I think it was Austin, Texas. Uh, And so I'm very concerned about what's going on here. I think people don't understand the gravity of it. I am um, struck by, in terms of, you know, this talk of new and different parties, you know, technically we have more than two parties in the United States, but um, at the moment, uh, you know, the two parties, Democratic and Republican, have dominated. And there's talk of new parties um, splintering, you know, there were talk of, you know, candidates running and and new parties being formed. I believe there's a new independent party, one of the largest, fastest growing coming out of New Jersey right now. And to me, it's interesting because when you, when we've seen splits, for example, in the Democratic Party, um, they haven't, uh, I believe they haven't performed as well. So I Whilst um, I have to admit to being addicted to um, a show on Netflix called Borgen, which is <laughs> the show of uh, Copenhagen and how uh, Denmark rules itself and, you know, coalition governments forming and people stepping down if they don't have the mandate. Uh, but I, I just, you know, I don't know that um, I, I am worried that America isn't there or ready for that, or that some portion is, and I, I don't exactly, I wonder what will happen if that shakeup happens, if, you know, a group breaks off from the Republicans, and then, you know, some people maybe break off from the Democrats, and I'm not sure what that will look like, um, and then finally, I just want to share one final point, and ask uh, for observations on that from Terry or other, which is that what I find fascinating about um So first of all, thank you so much for being here and sharing that. But um, one of the things that I want to note is that some of what has gone on in the United States um, with, for example, say the Oath Keepers, etc., there have been, um, you know, we in West Africa, in Burkina Faso, um, they, uh, militants have been holding, um, they have deposed they have said, claimed to have deposed the president and are holding him in his house. And I haven't seen the latest headline today. So this is kind of happening around the world. And in the Oath Keepers themselves, uh, it, there's some mention of it in The Atlantic and a couple of other articles I was looking for where they found their playbook from what was also happening around the world. And they, I believe at one point, were holding up examples of what to um, kind of learning from examples of militants around the world about, you know, what to do X, Y, and Z next as things unfolded on January 6th and beyond. And sorry for that mouthful, but I'm, I'm, you know, there, I see there's a knock on effect around the world. And I do think that there's some need to also be looking at folks. uh, They're wonderful servicemen and women around the world. And then, but once you get that training, you have it. (laughs) And so how do you kind of, how do people go back to kind of civilian life and, and uh, what does the military need to look at there? Anyway, thanks. I'm sorry if I rambled too much, but so excited for this conversation. Well, Terry only has five minutes. He told us before he accepted 
that he would have a hard stop. So I'm going to let him have the last word here, and then we can chew on what he's been telling us for the next half hour. I am uh, personally shocked. But Terry, go ahead. Well, I'll just very briefly say that I, I think I get the impression that so far everyone does appreciate what we're really talking about is something that we would not have imagined only a few years ago. That is that we're not quite sure whether we are going to pass on a predominantly democratic world to our children. Uh, whether it's Burkina Faso or Canada or Hungary or Turkey or we, we could go on, we seem to be going backwards. Uh, democracy is, on, is in retreat. Uh, and uh, we, we, we can talk about the details all we like, but the, but the, the bottom line for me is that we, we need, we, if we answer that question in the negative, that no, we, are, we cannot say that we are pa passing on a, a, a world that is at least predominantly democratic, uh, then we better do something about it. Uh, so, uh, what, what exactly that is, I will leave for you to decide in the next half hour. But I've got somewhere to be, so I, I thank you for your patience. I gotta go. Thanks. Well, thank you so much, Terry. And I'm going to reset the room. I'm going to tell you that this is the Karma Club, a salon for intelligent people. It's taken me a year to think of that tagline, and it meets every week at this time. Um, to discuss some earth-shattering problem that we can't solve, but that just becoming aware of can help us live with. And there are certainly quite a few of those. It's brought to you by the Karma Coin, which is a creator coin that supports artists. And when you, uh, when you buy five karma coins at rally.io you not only support the club you support other artists okay kids free for all what do you want to say now that terry's gone and we've realized that democracy is crumbling all over the world alex you keep unmuting I was I was chat clapping, you know, doing the the rapid clap. But and I I think one of the things that growing up in both countries taught me is there's a significant difference in terms of the formation of of the two countries, the United States, on the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and Canada's is very different from that. Ours is peace, order, and good government. And oh my goodness, you're not kidding. I, yeah. I would like to have those written down. We call it the Pog Clause. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's true. Um, good, good to hear your, your voice, James. And so uh, this, is, this has been a significant shaping of, of the two countries that were where the focus was on the greater good for the greatest number for a long time. Our constitution is backed by that. And, um, you know, our, obviously the strong idea of, of a social safety net, something that all Canadians really love, it, or many Canadians love, it seems to be uh, a, a significant differentiator between the two countries. 
you, we look at the difference in terms of vaccine rates between the two countries. Canada is uh, double vaxxed in the mid to high 80s and, and the United States is in the low 60s. So there's a significant difference there. Though I do think the influence that the United States is having is growing where a lot of people in Canada think that the vaccine mandates are somehow anti or running contrary to our constitution. And in fact, if we look at the first draft, the very first, um, um, uh, uh, thank you, provision of the, of the, I was, I was looking for the word, the provision of the Canadian charter. Yeah. It says the Canadian charter of rights and freedoms guarantees the rights and freedoms set out in it subject (laughs) only to subject only to reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be de- demonstrated in a just justify and justified in a re- in a free and democratic society the first part of our constitution talks about limits the freedom is not unabridged and so there's a, a fundamental lack of understanding that a lot of canadians have of our constitution and um how it's very different from the united states more but i think what we're seeing is that we're seeing a negative influence of of the United States, as Terry was saying, and as James has said, and a lot of the guests have said, we're, we're maybe moving in the direction of, of, you know, give me liberty or give me death instead of the greatest good for the greatest number. Hmm. Give me liberty or give me death it doesn't work in a civilized society. Can I, can I offer a different word than the word freedom? Because let me let me offer, especially in the context of religion, can I offer pluralism? Because freedom has been hijacked in America, in the United States. Oh my States. God, David! Thank you totally. so much. Yeah, I, the, the word that I I keep coming back to is harmony. Harmony. The next form of capital. Okay, can I take the mic for two ninety seconds? Please. So democracy is on the ropes because of crony, corporatist capitalism that Reaganomics gave, and, and a bunch of complicit Democrats. Okay, um, they 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 what they are what what their form of capitalism has done as they've you know tackled you know labor unions and you know through NAFTA you know remember originally NAFTA. Part of the motivation was to secure low-cost labor, but the other um, was to, you know, Mexico, back then the, 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 the manufacturing, we were all concerned about what they would do to the, to the environment and stuff like that, right? So, you know, we need to cultivate a new multi-stakeholder form of capitalism that, that does incorporate, you know, wiser integration of labor needs, but also Mama Gaia. Like we got to get these these externalities of the fossil fuel industry, and, and earlier in tech news around the world room, we we're talking about you know the uh, how do we even what's the framework for a, a wiser form of innovation, right? Because there's a whole. I'm just going to say it. There is a libertarian framework that just doesn't doesn't do the full calculus of of the, our socioeconomics, right? Um, anyways, I'm David. <laughs> I'm done speaking for the moment. Harmony, pluralism, is 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 some of the words that I'm kind of coming up with to help us have these kinds of conversations. 
so that wasn't 90 seconds, but I'm going to follow on um, to what David had just said. Um, so I am definitely pro-democracy. And Dr. Branstein, your question, if I heard correctly, and by the way, I'm sorry, I'm multitasking. I'm not just, I'm trying to work as well, but listening to the, what I thought was a very interesting conversation. Um, uh, I hope democracy isn't dead, but gosh, today, um, hearing people and what their beliefs are and how they think and what they prioritize. Um, I mean, it's not looking good, guys. That's how I'm feeling, and that's exactly why I keep having these discussions. I mean, it, it, it's not like I'm bored. <laughs> it's like there's, you know, I, I feel like because of my age, it's a little easier for me to moderate these discussions than it is for other people, you know, be, because I can explain that, you know, I, I don't want to have a stroke on, this, on my own stage. But, I mean, that's somewhat of an exaggeration, but not that much. But anyway, it, I'm stunned by what, by, um, what manifests in rooms full of really intelligent people. And I, I do want to do a room. I like David's idea of pluralism. So maybe the name of this room for next week, and I'm thinking out loud, but it, it might be, um, it, it might be injustice in the name of freedom, something like that. I don't know. Suggestions. I have Jewish connections, so. I will. I will go on record saying I will um, be able to recruit any Jew you would like. Well, not any <laughs> Jew you would like. I will be able to recruit the Jewish contingency. To, can can to you get Fionn Grunstein? You know what? We're too busy running Hollywood. Okay, but I, thank you, Susan. Doctor, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And Heyman, you and I are going to get on the phone after these this and really figure it out because this is so important. And thank you for giving me the word pluralism, David. You know, I, ha I have another word. I have another key word. This is like Jeopardy or something for 2022. Accountability. The last domino on this is accountability. If Trump is successful in skirting what is obviously what he instigated, that is that will be, I'll just say it's the last domino. You know, whether, whether it's almost the last domino, I, I'm just going to say it's the last, because it's going to show uh, authoritarians around the world. It's going to, it's going to, oh, anyways, I'll stop speaking, but accountability is another key word for the year. Yeah, I have another one as well. Sorry, Dr. Francis. Go ahead, Jocelyn. I want Thank to you. Transparency. Uh, I popped in here when I saw um, Terry was here because I wanted to ask, um, after the recent report by the CIA of what happened to the diplomats, I wanted to see it, how Canada was tackling that um, horrific thing that happened to the diplomats because Canadian diplomats were also involved. And the CIA recently found that most cases um, were not from another foreign adversary. 
So, um, yes, I think it's offensive to the diplomats. And um, I just wanted to see, you know, what conclusion Canada had come to. Well, Terry is in here, but maybe other... I'm sorry, which report are you referring to? The report... The recent, sorry, the recent report by the CIA stating that um, the CIA has found that most cases of the mysterious ailment known as Havana syndromes, syndrome are unlikely to have been caused by Russia or another foreign adversary. That was their conclusion. I've posted that the link at the top. The, that was the, uh, the question that I brought up this morning, Jocelyn. I don't know if you were there on News, News, News when I was asking um, whether we can now um, open up diplomatic relations to Cuba again. And, um, and someone else in the room said that we can't because uh, they have ties to Russia. And, you know, here's the issue that I am really grappling with. And I am totally grappling with this issue. How do we separate the governments of these places, which appear to be so evil, from the people in these places who are obviously not, you know, and it, this is true of just about every place. Yeah, it seems that politics attracts a certain type of personality. And um, if you notice, when um, Trump went into power, I think it was 2019 that he fired an elite group of scientists, I think made up of 40, 50 um, physicists, uh, all different uh, disciplines within science. And this group known as Jason was fired in 2019. So uh, when you look at who is advising the president and um, that it seems as if there we don't have checks and balances, like the opinion is from a limited few. I'm wondering, um, having gone through Havana syndrome and now going through the, the pandemic, why didn't um, why wasn't this group rehired, Jason? Well, I sure can't. I, I sure can't answer that. But I know that Havana syndrome has been a topic in which you've done a lot of research, and um, I don't know. But I, I want, I want to separate. I didn't want to do that to Catherine this morning in the room, but I want to separate the Cuban people from the Cuban government because I don't see. Again, I don't see the Cuban people exhibiting any of the traits of the Cuban government. It's really important to always do that, right? The CCP is not the Chinese people. Certainly, there will be some citizenry that supports the government, but it's really important that for those of us who are trying to get this pluralistic you know, civilization back on, on you know, stable ground, that we keep using that level of granularity in how we're communicating about it.
I think you have to be even more careful to not even do broad brush strokes against an entire government. I mean, maybe certain um, governments aside, but, you know, there are good and decent people serving in government, but there is a power uh, imbalance that's developing, particularly when you end up having large income gaps and the money plays such uh, a big part in driving who gets elected uh, and uh, influencing policy and trade associations and lobbyists. And now I'm speaking mostly about America, but I'm sure the lessons translate broadly. So, and, okay, and I, I'd like, I'm, I'm sorry, Lori, but there's a newcomer to Clubhouse on stage, um, a man named Mark, who I don't know at all, and ha I'm violating one of Clubhouse's rules, which is that you have to, you should have your social media attached and your bio filled out before a moderator calls you up, but I am intrepid. Hi, Mark. Welcome to Clubhouse, and how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. Can you hear me there? Yes. Perfect. Sorry about that. That's uh, my first time on Clubhouse. So that's why nothing's filled in yet. So thank you for taking a risk and inviting me to the stage. I'm a risk taker. I love it. <laughs> um, so hopefully I'm not uh, stepping out of bounds in terms of the, the flow of the conversation, but I just wanted to go back to what was, was spoken about at the beginning about the democratic backsliding. Uh, is, that okay? is that okay? It's absolutely fine. Awesome. So for me, um, you know, democracy is a principle I, I hold fairly strong uh, in, in strong regard. Um, I feel, you know, that that sense of uh, political freedom that comes with having a representative is important for every single person, um, whether you're in Canada or another democratic country or a democracy in waiting. Um, but when it comes to how we practice democracy, uh, we're quite lacking uh, from from the perfect system. Uh, not just here in Canada, but also United States. Um, as many of you know, the first breadcrumb. You're a Canadian. Yes, that's right. So, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I live in Toronto, Ontario. Okay, thank you. You're a neighbor yeah. of Heyman. Sorry, say it one more time. You are a neighbor of Heyman. Ah, okay, nice. Hey, Heyman. Um, so yeah, when it, when it comes to democracy. Um, it's for such an important thing, it just feels like we're practicing it wrong. And uh, for both the United States and Canada, we use single member districts. And really what that is, is we use the system first past the post. Uh, so essentially, we only elect one representative to uh, our, our legislature uh, for uh, individual ridings or locations. Uh, the problem with that is, is that uh, huge swaths of the population are then excluded from the decision-making process in Parliament or Congress or whatever legislative body that is. And that inequality, I like to call that democratic inequality, leads to such a skewing of the entire situation that how can we, how can we call ourselves democracy if large swaths of the population isn't even included in the ability of making laws, of uh, rising, uh, raising their politics in Parliament, uh, or even just the right to be heard in Parliament uh, is non-existent in that regard. Uh, so I guess what I'd, I'd like to say is that, uh, you know, for, for while we're seeing these democratic backsliding in um, other countries and perhaps a, a lack of democracy in our own countries here, perhaps we should reaffirm and recommit to democracy and actually look at how we elect our representatives 
Um, in Canada, we have a multi-party system, and we're very lucky that First Past the Post doesn't screw it up too, too much, but it, it certainly does, which is why we're trying to move towards proportional representation here, where we have multiple members per region or riding. Uh, and really what that does is it captures the full political diversity uh, of the population, allows everyone an equal opportunity to make political change happen through their representative, and gives everyone the right to be heard. And most importantly, it actually gives the majority the right to decide on on um, on legislations rather than minority minority rule, which we we have a lot of the time here in Canada. Um, and I guess one last thing before I'll let it go there is that, uh, especially with the title of your talk, in the states, uh, people are aware of this problem as well, and you're you're currently moving to uh, rank choice voting in the UN in the United States. Um, but the problem with ranked choice voting uh, when it comes to Canada is that it actually keeps that single member district. So, again, huge swaths of the population are excluded from being part of parliament uh, through their proxy of their representative. Um, the United States, actually, ranked choice voting makes a lot of sense for them because they need to break up their two-party duopoly um, and hopefully then move on to a proportional representation system. But currently, uh, the United States is just a bad, a bad system for Canada to learn from when it comes to democracy. Um, uh, so it just feels that we should be very careful about adopting reforms from there, especially when our multi-party democracy is, is thriving in a way. So we need to learn how to protect our multi-party democracy instead of backsliding uh, by, um, by, making, um, by making the right reforms. Dr. Francine. Oh, I'm not, I'm not on. Thank you, and it's very nice to meet you. I'd like to recommend a book by a friend of mine who has been doing um, this kind of work for a long time. It's called Virtual Country, and it's very much what you were talking about, Mark, and that's why I'm putting it up here. And... Um, yeah, we are presented with an opportunity of historic proportion to upgrade our original vision of democracy to coincide with the way our country has grown and changed. It is an opportunity to make use of capabilities that simply didn't exist when our country was founded and to do this in the service of all citizens above all else. We have an opportunity to renew our collective confidence in the power of our democracy and to shepherd its transition from cynicism and helplessness to vibrant and enthusiastic civic engagement that will be a model for other democracies around the world. Yeah, so, you know, we have other people who are thinking about these things and, um, and we ought to have another conversation about that too. But... Uh, I like the sound of that. So, sorry, but one more thing before I go, just because um, I wanted to connect back to the uh, the conversation about freedom previously, because freedom comes comes into all of our lives. Um, if, if you haven't read it yet, I would recommend the book called Whose Freedom by George Lakoff. And it actually talks about uh, progressives reclaiming the value of freedom, because freedom in itself is a progressive value and not necessarily a conservative one. Um Conservatism tends to look at hierarchy and control, while progressive, progressivism looks at that actual freedom uh, of giving people their own autonomy. Um, so just, a, just a, an end comment there. Oh, and thank you, because I love George Lakoff. Okay, it is time to wind down the room.
Next week, I think because this was so boring, we're going to talk about religion. I'm just kidding. So it's <laughs> another, another topic that keep everybody on the edge of their chair. And also one more thing we never touched on is uh, election campaign financing. That's something that's different in the U.S. compared to most other places in the world, including Canada, where there's restrictions on financing of elections. Yep. And that, of course, is at the bottom of all of this. I know, I know, I know. But Dr. Francine, I think in Germany, they limit the number of political ads you can take out during elections and the amount you can spend on them as well. Okay, so after freedom, I've made this big list for Heyman and and I'm just... (laughs) I'm just turning it upside down because next week I definitely want to get into religious freedom because I've been watching these alerts come in this morning about the banning of a book about the Holocaust. And so this raises all the questions, Suzanne, um, get the Jews and also, I think the key thing is, I mean, the, I think one word that even Alex and I were chatting in the background is that tribalism and all this stuff were actually, um, I think one thing about Canadian politics, I know is the collectivism sort of idea. I, it's not perfect at all. It's not. We're, we're considered a uh, sort of a stained glass window. That's the, uh, comp- uh, uh, the comparison that's given to the U.S. melting pot phenomena. Um, but I, like, I think going forward, I think we need to figure out is, uh, what are we exactly? I mean, are we uh, stand? What are we standing for? Um, or are we going to go into these little groups and then fight for our own thing versus a collective idea? Well, and that is the that that's the underlying issue. But I I need to close the room so that everyone can get back to their day. Mm-hmm. I love as I say every week. I love you all because you show up and you're willing to. It's like spend an hour with me and undertake these discussions, which are, to me, are so, so extremely important to have. And even if we don't solve all the world's problems, making people aware of them and also making people that there are, that there are other people who are having the same sleepless nights they are, about the decline of democracy or the end of religious freedom or, you know, uh, the, the the decline of tolerance. Uh, David, give me some words. You know, we'll, we'll, we've got a bunch of words, and I'm going to put them in a room description for next week. So thank you so much for coming. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Francine. Thank you, Heyman. Take care, all. Bye, Heyman.